This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. I stand in the pulpit today for the very first time in 98 days. And I purposely uh, taken this time away from my public speaking ministry. And without question, I must confess that this is the longest silence that I have ever experienced in nearly 49 years of gospel ministry. That is a long time for a little boy that went and talked till he was about three and had to be bribed into talking in the beginning, and yet I have not shut up from that time until now. The reason that I have chosen the road of silence for these almost 100 days following the tragedy that affected mine and Sherry's life and our family is that I confess that I knew that ultimately this day would come again. And frankly, in a lot of ways, I dreaded it. The reason that I dreaded this moment was because I have been immersed for the last 98 days in a school of learning. And I have been involved in learning the ways of God in deeper manners than ever before in my life. For you see, I stood at the helm of this local church congregation for some 40 years and I thought in that length of time that I had a pretty good handle on the suffering and the anguish that was in our world. I thought that my life was pretty well woven into the tapestry of of what the nitty-gritty now and now was all about and and, and I was convinced that I had a grip on those things. For you see, in my world, all of, those lie, uh, all of those days and years that I served as a local church pastor, there were a certain number in my congregation that every week would be in local hospitals. And for many years, I would put uh, up to 40 to 45,000 miles a year on my automobiles traveling to visit people in hospitals all around the country. Also, I experienced in that time a thinking that I had a grip on the anguish and the struggles in people's lives. Every week there would be a series of calls from people that would call me 
and would want to talk about the problems in their world, in their lives. Problems like the problems of aging parents or faltering marriages or rebellious children and the struggles that they faced on a weekly basis. I was brought into their world and therefore it convinced me that I had a grip on the suffering and the anguish that people experienced. And then very often I was called on to officiate a funeral. Usually it was the passing and the homegoing of a elderly person that had slipped away from us. But occasionally there was that tragic bereavement situation in which I was called on to step in and walk with people on their journey through that valley experience. And yet I can remember in God in this 98 days has taken me on a journey of remembering what it was like in which I assumed after all of those things were over and done that the world would just pick up and go right on and people would pick up their daily routines and they would go ahead with their world and their life while it was just a small sliver of humanity that was afflicted and knew what true suffering was all about. But then, ladies and gentlemen, May the 10th, 2016, shattered the reality of my seemingly well-planned and insulated and manageable life. For you see, Sherry and I had lived the blessed life and our lives had been done on a level of faith and interaction that we thought was well-planned and so perfect. Yes, I must admit to this congregation that we had both, Sherry and I both, had dealt with what we viewed were the normal physical and psychological and spiritual challenges that our children faced in growing up in a preacher's home and living their lives in glass houses. We were blessed, however, in that journey by many, many loving friends and many caring physicians. And we were extremely blessed with the resources to do what we thought was best for our family and we thought was best for life itself. However, ladies and gentlemen, I stand on this Sunday morning and I speak for the first time and I tell you that one phone call on that May afternoon changed everything in our world. That one phone call that shattered our well-managed and planned and insulated life from anguish and anxiety it all changed at about 5.50 on May the 10th, 2016. For in that moment, I found that everything that I had ever believed in was now going on trial. 
and everything that I had ever stood over the years and told other people about was now on the witness stand being questioned and cross-examined by the forces and the voices that came into my world and into my heart and into my head. I must stand and preach today that my lamentation moment became synced with that of Job of the Old Testament as I joined the fraternity of the anguished and I reached to understand the chaos of the unexplainable. And since that day, I have found myself for these past 98 days forced to enroll in the graduate school of grief. And oh, I have dreaded this point today because I knew I needed to say these few things in the introduction of my message this morning. Oh, the life lessons that I am now learning. They are real. They are poignant. They are tangible. But yet today I come not to preach to you on this Sunday morning in August a word just of tragedy or loss or pain. But rather I come to preach to this congregation that in the midst of life's moments of loss and tragedy and chaos that there is hope and there is triumph and there is the availability to learn from what we experience and we will see the goodness of God again and we will thrive in God's everlasting goodness. Hallelujah to God. I want to take a moment just to simply say a genuine thank you to the countless, countless numbers of you we have received over the last 98 days. A stack of cards that is almost 18 inches tall. Sherry and I have spent time reading every one of them and some of them over and over again. We have received literally hundreds and thousands of phone calls and private messages and texts on an ongoing basis for these last 98 days. We likewise have received many books that have been sent to us. There's a stack that high in my study at home in my den that I have kept close. But of all of the books that have really spoken to me and touched me in this journey of learning, it's an old classic that was written by Rabbi Harold Kushner. And someone sent it to me during this time. And it is one of the classic works of all times about grief and loss and suffering. And it is entitled, When Bad Things Happen to good people. And as I read Rabbi Kushner's book again and afresh about the loss of their 10-year-old son, it was so poignant that he spoke to me that yes, none of us, none of us can have a grip on life 
Life is uncertain. And yes, you that sit here today do not know what you face tomorrow. But could I simply say that in the midst of all of life's struggle, I have come today to tell this audience that in the midst of life's learning experiences, you must understand that you must go back to what you know is really true. Could I speak to someone this morning before we go to the Word of God and before I open the textbook and I share with you from the Word of God what He has spoken into my heart for you this day? Could I tell you that Sherry and I have found out that in great tragedy, the great things that were taught us as children have been the anchor of the soul. Today, I'm going to speak to you from the subject of a hope beyond disappointment. I want to talk about a hope that supersedes life's disappointments. I want to talk about something that will anchor you when you don't know whether you're going to survive or not. One of the things that kept coming to my mind in the time after our tragedy and Allie's death was this, that God began to bring back to me all of those scriptures that I had memorized as a child in children's church and in youth as a young man and that I had hidden away in my heart. Could I just make a point today that it's not whether you will experience bad times at some point. It is a matter of when you will experience a challenge and a bad season and bad times. And I can remember driving up Interstate 35 weeping uncontrollably and my son Bo was driving me and we were headed to uh, pick out a place to lay Allie to rest and I was uncontrollable in my prayers saying, no, this cannot be happening. And then out of my mouth came the words of Job as I joined in his sorrow. And I said, and yet neither will I charge God foolishly. I will not charge God foolishly for what has occurred in my world, but I will see the goodness of the Lord. Somebody today in this audience, I just want to bring you a word of hope. If you will not charge God foolishly, God will show up when he in, is, is supposed to and he will show up right on time to give you hope that goes beyond your disappointment. God took me on my journey to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5 this morning is where we will go in scripture. And the great apostle Paul give some insight that I want to share with you in this discourse. He says 
in verse number one of the New Living Translation, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight, everybody say, I've been made right. Say it again with me. I've been made right. You didn't make yourself right, but you have been made right in God's sight by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ hath brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. And then the Apostle Paul in verse 3 gets into the heart of the matter, ladies and gentlemen, when he says something that I wrestle with. He said, we can rejoice too when we run in to problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance, verse 4, develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Let me talk about what Paul teaches us in Romans 5. First of all, he said that the great promise of God is that we can do something that is beyond our own ability, and that is we can learn to rejoice and glory even in our suffering. Now, to most of us, that does not make any human sense because how many of you at home have a medicine cabinet or a medicine drawer? At our house, Sherry has an entire pharmacy. I call her my little pharmacist. And uh, one side of her vanity, she's got it all organized. See, anything, anything I need and a whole lot of things that I don't need, I can just ask my own personal pharmacist. And uh, she'll even, at night when we go to bed, she'll, she'll say, now, do you need to get up and take a Benadryl? Uh... Uh, uh, do you need a Claritin D? Uh, she's got all that stuff. Uh, any of you need any drugs? See Sherry. She's, she's usually well stocked. The fact is that most of us in our American culture, we actually uh, will do almost anything to avoid the act of suffering. 
because we have found that if you can just find the right pill, you can find the right uh, uh, chemical combination that it will dull anything we think from a headache to a heartache. We find ourselves in a culture in which we will do anything to avoid suffering. And yet spiritually, the Apostle Paul tells us that we can find the fact that even in our seasons in life of suffering, that we can find a way to glorify and utilize the seasons of our suffering for our good. Now, there's not any of us that would volunteer to walk that road, but I will simply say today that it has been impressed on me more and more as I have watched the Olympics this year and watched the athletes as they uh, uh, have struggled and striven to just have a couple of minutes for some of them of fame, to simply strive for a gold medal, which I looked up last night because I'm curious, George, and uh, I was always under the illusion that those medals they worked for and they won were pure gold. The whole medal was. And I looked up last night, and the last time they were solid gold was in 1912. And since 1912, they are just a combination of sterling silver and, and bronze that is just overcoated with 24 karat gold. And so therefore, they do all of that work to just win a medal. It's just silver and bronze and some gold that has been attached to it. And yet, in their struggle for a, a, a prominence and a gold medal, they undergo a whole lot of suffering. A whole lot of suffering. Michael uh, Phelps, the greatest Olympian of all times, and winning again at the age of 31. He had on his body this time the marks of an ancient Chinese uh, uh, a practice called cupping in which there is absolutely no scientific or medical proof that that helps anybody. But they have used it for hundreds and thousands of years of taking suction cups and saying that we will pull the blood to the surface and it will help the, the, the muscles to operate better. And his body, I noticed, was marked by these cups as he practiced trying to alleviate the pain of a 31-year-old Olympic swimmer's body. You say, Pastor Ron, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that the Apostle Paul tells us that our suffering, our seasons of suffering, develops in our lives endurance. It gives us the foundation to either give up or go on. 
to give up or press forward. I'm glad to stand in this pulpit today and speak to somebody. If you are in a time of struggle or suffering in your world this week or this moment, please don't give up on God and please don't charge God foolishly, but learn that suffering endures for a night. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad to stand here under the power of the anointing of the Holy Ghost and tell my audience that joy does come in the morning. There is value in learning to suffer with grace, for it produces endurance. I found that you never really get anywhere in life by going downstream or always going with the path of least resistance. You never get anywhere by walking down the mountain. Justin and our grandchildren spent last week in Colorado Springs and the kids were so excited that they got to go on a, a real mountain hike. And I asked how it was. It was, I don't know, four miles, eight miles, something. And four miles up, four miles down. And what was reported was that Chloe and Justin made it fine, but Liam was sucking air. <laughs> And I told him on the phone, I said, you made it. You made it, though. You saw a part of God's great beauty and creation by willing to climb the mountain. And just remember this, son, that every now and then in life, you have to climb a mountain in order to see God's beauty and to build that stamina and that strength, even when you're sucking air. John Madden, the great football coach and analyst, developed a term, and it was called YAC, Y-A-C. And John Madden, you never knew what he was going to say when he was on TV, when he was com uh, commenting on a professional football game, but he developed this term, YAC, which means yards after contact. And he developed it to describe what a runner does after he is first hit when he's running with the football. And they started measuring how many yards a runner would run after contact was first made. In the process, there were those that actually, actually measured in yards after contact. One of the most outstanding movies that I ever watched many years ago was the life story of the great NFL runner Walter Payton. And Walter Payton gained over 16,000 yards in his career of running in the National Football League but what some people don't know, that he got knocked down every 4.3 yards of his entire career. He got knocked down 7,000 times, but he got more yards after contact than he did 
just running before the contact. Somebody asked the, the famous runner Emmett Smith that holds the record in the NFL for yardage. They asked him, Emmett, do you ever get tired? To which he answered, I play tired. Someone came in this morning and I greeted them in the foyer. And they said, I'm mighty tired. And I said, well, I've always said that tired people run the entire world. So you must be running your part of this world. You're running your part of this world because tired people run this world. Could I tell somebody today on this Lord's Day that great people do not quit when they are tired. They quit when they are finished. And I'm trying to inspire somebody today out of my tragedy, out of my sense of loss, out of my time of silence, out of my struggle. Yes, I have wanted to quit, but ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how to quit. And when you don't know how to quit, you just go ahead and you play through the pain and you understand that the Apostle Paul said that suffering would be for a time, but it would reap good for you in the long run because it would build your endurance. And how many of you have ever heard me say publicly that, ladies and gentlemen, serving God is not a sprint. Serving God is a marathon. You must learn to endure if you're going to see the end of this race. And then Paul comes along and says, secondly, in Romans 5, that our endurance develops our character. Endurance develops character. I thought I was wise, but I must confess, these last 98 days have caused me to take an inward look of every aspect of life. I must confess that as I joined Job on his journey, he wrote the oldest book of the entire Bible. The book of Job was written before the book of Genesis. It was even before it was penned about the beginning of the world that Job was having his set to with God. And I went back and began to read the book of Job. And you know what he did for 37 chapters? Check it out sometime. He was, he was in that mode of saying, God, I don't understand. He was in that mode of his friends coming around and sitting quietly around him and not saying one single word for three days at a time. It was Job that had an ongoing problem with God. For those 37 chapters... He was in the questioning and the struggling business. But then wisdom began to kick in. And after 37 chapters, God said to Job, are you now finished talking? He said, now be quiet, Job, and let me talk. And I've experienced some of this myself. God said to Job, where were you when I flung the worlds into their orbits? And where were you when I put all things in order? 
Can I remind you that I am the God of all creation and I know exactly where you are as my child. I wish that I could preach to somebody here today that no matter where you find yourself on this journey of life, keep on going for you will reap if you do not faint. It's all right to question God. God can handle your questions. Just don't charge God foolishly because God wants to bring wisdom to your life in a greater dimension of character. When I was in college, I read the story of a young man from the state of Ohio and his father had died and left him to support his mother and so, being from a poor family, now destitute, he took a job on a canal boat as a wood chopper. His name was James. And while he was chopping wood on that canal boat to furnish the power for it to go up and down the Ohio River, he had an accident with the axe and the axe severely cut his foot. And being on that boat, there was not proper treatment and blood poison set in in that foot and infection set in. And finally he had to come home and he almost died as a result of that injury. But it was while James was recovering that he made up his mind in that valley experience, the loss of his father, and now almost the loss of his foot, that he was going to do something with his life, and his life was going to be forever changed. And so therefore he went and enrolled in, in school to become a minister. And then he got more education to become a teacher. And then he prepared himself to become a principal. And then, as it were, the Civil War broke out and he enlisted in the Union Army and rose to the level of Major General. And when the Civil War was over, he ran for Congress and was elected to the United States Congress. And he became the only U.S. congressman then to ever be elected president of the United States. His name was James A. Garfield. And he was elected after no one else could get enough votes to be elected. He was elected on the 36th ballot by Congress and was placed as the, first, uh, as the 20th president of the United States. You say, Pastor Ron, what are you trying to tell us today? I'm trying to tell somebody that in your pain, God can turn it into endurance. And endurance will be turned into character. And your life does not have to be just a picture of your tragedy. But God has a whole lot more living for you to do. Perhaps this is the first time that I publicly said it. I've said it to myself as I preach to myself over these 98 days. But I will live again.
I will live again. Do I miss my daughter? Yes. Do I miss her sweet voice? Do I miss, will I miss her going forward in my world as much as I loved her? Because Allie was the one that got me. Allie was the one that understood me. She was the one that, that struggled like I struggle a lot of times. And we had so much in common. And yet, I stand today and simply confess and report to this church that I will not give up. I will not turn in my card of living, but I will rise with you as the family of God and the people of faith, and we will go forward into our tomorrows. If nothing else, I think that this tragedy in my world is making me kinder and more sensitive. Sherry and I celebrated 47 years of marriage this week. And I purpose that I want to be a better husband. I really didn't know that I could be any better. (laughs) Except just statements like that prove (laughs) that I'm full of it. (laughs) Could I tell you that sometimes life will strike you down and you'll learn that you can be better? Through life's experiences, you can reach out for a thing called hope. It is said that in the world wars that when there were men that were destined to be in a life raft and floating in the ocean, that usually the ones that gave up hope the quickest were the young soldiers. But the ones that did not give up hope quickly were the the older soldiers because it said that those that had been through some things in life already, they hold on to hope longer than people that's never been through anything. I saw Brother Cleveland Richardson's hand go up because he was one of those soldiers that his ship was hit in Pearl Harbor on December the 7th, 1941. And he was one of those soldiers that was in one of those life rafts. He was one that was pulled to safety and his life was spared. Could I simply say to somebody today, don't give up hope because hope will sustain you and it's greater than your disappointments of life. The Apostle Paul said, he said that your character will be the springboard the springboard to your hope of salvation. And I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, but the one thing that I cling to is I must be saved. I must be saved. I don't know about you, but this world becomes darker all the time. 
all around us is filled with chaos and darkness and struggle and untruths. But look up because God will not leave you without hope. Yes, there might be suffering, but it will produce a stronger character. And Paul says that your character will build up your hope of your own personal salvation. And that hope will not bring disappointment to your life. Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite Christian writers, the last part of the 20th century and the first part of the 21st century, was asked one day, where does wisdom come from? To which he answered the gentleman that asked him the question, wisdom comes from pain. Wisdom comes from pain. If you want wisdom, you've got to go through some things. If you want to grow in life, if you want hope, you've got to go through some things. God is not going to leave you by yourself. But Paul said, this hope will not leave you disappointed. This hope will not leave you to your own devices. Sherry and I, two or three years ago, planted or had planted some new trees in our yards. And planting trees in the unpredictable weather of of Texas is a risk to say the least. These trees have become almost as Sherry's babies. She checks them. She knows uh, what, what they're going through. And it reminded me of the fact that, that I'd studied and read in the past about trees, and that is that when they are attacked and when they go through tough times, there's something about the bark on trees when they have a wound. The bark has the ability to just knot up and, and, and produce a, a resiliency and a protection around that wounded part of the tree. Could I simply say that there's something about the Holy Spirit? And Paul talks about the Holy Spirit that God has imparted into our world and into our hearts by faith. And he simply has imparted the Holy Spirit that when we are wounded, the Holy Spirit comes and knots up the bark of our lives and makes us tougher inwardly and gives us the stamina to have wisdom and to persevere through the tough times. And we finally get to that place that we reach up and we take a hold of a hope that does not disappoint. And we know that then we have peace with God because of that hope that is eternal. There's no soldier that has ever been in a concentration camp as an American prisoner of war that has ever lost his rank by being in a tough time. By being caught by the enemy, he has never been demoted while he was a POW. He was never stripped of his rank. But usually, when he comes out of that tough time in that prison setting, then he receives 
a rise in his rank. He receives a reward. I'm telling somebody here today in this little message that I speak from my heart. Hang on to God because suffering will endure for a night, but joy is coming in the morning. And you're going to come out with more character than you've ever had. And that character is going to give you a hope that will not disappoint you in a world of chaos in which things will come that you do not understand. Let me close today by simply telling you what this hope has brought and what God has given me as a personal gift in the midst of my struggle and my tragedy. For the first 48 days, after the loss of Allie, I struggled deeply psychologically and emotionally because every time that I would close my eyes the image that would come to my mind was not a pretty image it was an image of loss it was an image of my my baby Now, put together that image from personal conversations I'd had with the people that had seen her. The time after her death. And so I struggled for 48 days and nights with that image in my mind. And so I went to God in prayer. Oh, the power of prayer. Prayer is not the these and the thous. It's not formal prayers, but when God is your best friend, you just talk to him about your struggles. And I said, God... I can't tell you what to do, but this is your son, Ron. and I'm struggling with that image that is burned in my, my mind. And that's all I can see. And God, could you, could you give me something that would supersede that image and would give me a hope that wouldn't disappoint me? And I'll never forget it on Saturday night, June the 25th. I could not sleep all night. And I so wanted to be in church with you, my church family. And I had not slept all night. And about 6 a.m., I went back to my bed and I said, God, could you give me just an hour or so of rest before I get up and 
go to church. And ladies and gentlemen, can I report to you today that if I never knew that God existed before this moment, I know He exists now. Because I drifted into a deep sleep at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning, June 26th. And God gave me a vision. Now, I'm not one to stand and talk about all the dreams and visions that God gives. And I'm not one that operates in that world a whole lot. But ladies and gentlemen, if God ever gives you a real vision, you'll never ever forget it. And he gave me one that gave me a hope beyond my disappointment and my pain. The vision was that I drove up to a restaurant knowing that I was supposed to meet someone. I really did not know who I was supposed to meet. In my life, I've done it many, many times, a thousand times over the years. I've gone to meetings with people at restaurants. This particular restaurant, I drove up on the front parking lot I can see the building just as clearly in my mind's eye as I did that early morning hour of June 26th. The front of the restaurant was in a, a paint that, that I would recognize. It was in that, that, that Aggie color that there jerseys are kind of that, that burnt color there was another parking lot behind the restaurant and as I sat in my car waiting to meet someone I did not know a silver car pulled up on the back parking lot and I got out of my car thinking that this was who I was supposed to meet and I started toward the front of the restaurant and as I got to the front of the restaurant, there were two young ladies that bounded out of that silver car. And as I looked at the one that was driving, and as she began to bounce toward me with great joy, and her hair was, was strawberry blonde, and it was beautifully fixed and done. And there was great joy on her face, and she was laughing and then I realized that it was Allison, my daughter. The, early, the other girl walked to her left behind her, and I did not recognize her at that time. And as I walked toward Allie, she was so happy, and she was so full of life. And as I reached my arms out, to hug my girl. I saw the geodesic dress that she wore. And I reached out and I actually touched her. God, in his providence, allowed me 
to touch her. And I did not touch her broken body. But I touched the glorified body of my daughter. And I felt the energy. And I felt the life radiate into my left hand. And as I touched her and took her into my arms, she suddenly vanished. And as she vanished, she turned to her left with her left arm. And she pointed to the other girl that was with her. And then my eyes became open. And it was my daughter-in-law, Heather, was Bo's wife who struggles with so many of the same struggles. And it was almost as if Allie was saying, I'm okay, Dad. Now behold your daughter. Take care of Heather. Ladies and gentlemen, maybe that doesn't mean anything to you. But could I tell you that from that day forward, God has allowed that vision to be superimposed over the vision of my pain and my struggle. And it was from that experience that my healing process began. You say, I don't believe you. Well, it's really not a matter of whether you believe me or not. Because a man with an argument is never at the mercy of a man with an experience. And could I tell you that my God has the ability to come to where his children are. And if you will make your petition known and say, God, I'm not telling you what to do. But God, if you know my name, if you know where I'm at as your child, Lord, would you just give me a word of hope that would not bring disappointment? And would you give me the breath of life and the courage to go forward? I'm speaking to someone in the closing moments of this message on this August Sunday. And I simply tell you that God will take you through your suffering and he will make you stronger and give you more endurance so that you can come to the place that your hope of salvation is stronger than ever before. Would you stand with me? The last thing that I had felt before I closed the casket and planted my daughter in the ground was her left arm. I felt the coldness of a broken body. But God allowed me to touch in my vision a body that was filled with life and resurrection and power and beauty. I would ask you this morning to reach over and take the hand of somebody that's standing close by you. Would you just connect with somebody?
have no idea who this message has been for today. Maybe I've just been preaching to me and you've got to listen in. But would you, join, would you join me on a journey of life? Would you join me on a journey of hope? Would you join me and Sherry on a journey not of our yesterdays? I'm thankful for my yesterdays. But I've got hope that doesn't disappoint. And it goes beyond this present struggle. I'm going to pray over you, Father. I am so indebted. I am so indebted to you as my heavenly Father. Lord, for your great grace and mercy. God, in all of my emotion. I'm glad that you know the weight of a tear. I'm glad, Lord, that in my brokenness, you have given me hope. I promise you, Father, that I will spend the rest of my life trying to give hope to others. I will tell your story of grace and mercy I will tell your story, Lord, of how when the unexplainable happens that we can go on. I will tell the story of the great grace of Calvary Church and the wonderful people that grace this house, oh God, that have poured oil and wine into my spirit and into Sherry's spirit and into our family's spirits. And God, let me be the hope giver, Lord. If I can point someone to you, then my living shall not be in vain. And I ask, oh God, that you would allow us as a people that when we come up against difficult things, let us understand that it's going to ultimately lead to our salvation and our hope goes beyond this present life. And I ask it in the wonderful and glorious name of Jesus Christ. And could I hear a great big amen from this church? Would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Come on, let's give up some love to a God that does not disappoint. Praise God. Praise God. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. 
How great thou art. How great thou art. Your ticket to dismissal today.